Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And And this this is Starcourt Study Study Hall. Hall. Welcome back, everybody. This is our first episode after Christmas, so I hope you're all having fun with your new toys or whatever it is that Santa brought you this year. (laughs) Your Ataris. (laughs) Yes, your Ataris and your Odysseys and all that fun stuff that Santa brought everybody this year because it's definitely 1984. It totally is. (laughs) All right. So so speaking of games and Christmas, I've been thinking a lot about kind of classic games and stuff this year, especially because Eli, my fiance, for Christmas, he got me a Switch game, which is actually mm. three different Mario games. So it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. So it's Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy. So I'm very excited to play all three of those. I've been cracking away at 64 today and... You know, it's harder than I remember. But that being said, we are doing a very special episode today, and it is our second Just the Facts episode, and it is going to be about the history of arcades. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about it because, as we know, especially in season two, arcades are kind of like a focal point, you know, a, a gathering place for our characters, and we thought, you know, we couldn't really do justice to a podcast about this era without talking about arcades because they really were such a cultural phenomenon and you know it's just really fun to think about like we all like i mean you know most people like video games lots of people have Mm -hmm. have played video games at least and they're kind of just a, a part of our lives now so i found it really interesting to read all about kind of how the the home gaming came to be and how the physical arcades came to be and uh there's some interesting and juicy stuff in here Ooh, juicy yep it does get juicy so that's not what i would expect i me either i was not expecting this so i'm excited to talk about it so in in true just the facts nature i did the research for this episode and marina is just gonna listen we, just listening. Yes, we like to trade these back and forth. So today I will be teaching Marina along with the rest of you about the history of arcades. Hooray, I'm ready. Yay! So for this episode, and of course, as always, the sources will be linked in our source document, which is in the bio of each of our episodes, or I don't know what you call it, bio, info, whatever. Description. Yeah, descri- that's it. Description, not bio. <laughs> it's not a living being. Um, the, the bio. <laughs> yes, it's biography. So most of the, the info about the history of arcades came from two articles that are from The Verge, and one is from Betson.com. And then I'm not even going to mm-hmm. lie, I'm going to keep it real. Good amount of info came from the Wikipedia pages for people and concepts described in this history. But I got to say, hmm. Wikipedia has really come a long way since we were in high school. It's It has. It's a lot harder to really mess with Wikipedia. And don't worry, everything was 
double fact-checked. I just find Wikipedia kind of easy to navigate as far as like, mm-hmm. especially as far as timelines go. They're pretty good at that. Yeah. So, you know, thought I'd keep it real. We're all doing it. All okay. Right. So we're going to take it all the way back to the beginning and we are going to start in the early 1900s with this arcade history. Okay. So that's like 1901. Pretty much. It's like the the 10s to the 20s, uh, maybe to early 30s that we're talking about here. So The turn of the century. Yes, yes. So the first kind of arcade concept that existed was referred to as a penny arcade. And as the name would imply, most of the games and other entertainment in arcades, penny arcades, cost only a penny. So even old man Humphrey could afford it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank God. Yes. It's not $5. It's only a penny. So... Uh, Some examples of entertainment that they had as options in these penny arcades were non-electric pinball machines. So uh, I'm guessing that that means kind of like wooden or something. I'm not really sure. Fortune-telling machines, which I think a lot of us have seen before. Those love tester machines. Okay. Yeah. So again, those are something that for some reason are pretty popular in like old-timey women's bathrooms like if you go somewhere that hasn't been renovated in a really long time like, i don't know what they had to they had to know yeah. who was gonna love them yes how else would they know without that right and you you need privacy to see this because <laughs> if you're intended sees you doing this it's gonna cause a lot of problems so right yeah they can't know yeah. that it's them. no um and some other things that existed in these penny arcades were shooting games but not like the ones that you see now that are like you know, they have like the fake gun and everything. It was like legitimate shooting games where you would be like shooting down cans or something like that. Okay. With, you know, a gun. So it was like, it's like a boardwalk. Pretty much. Yeah. It was a lot of those kind of like uh, midway type games. And then okay. there were also slot machines in penny arcades. All right. Yeah. Back in the day. So. Okay. So then we fast forward to the 1930s to the 1960s. Now, I did not know how much pinball was going to influence this history of arcades, but <laughs> pinball is it, a very a very contentious topic, apparently. Or it was. Okay. It was, at least. I don't know. So, drama. Yes. Pinball drama, everybody. So, oh, boy. So, back in the day, pinball machines actually became a source of controversy because they offered cash prizes to winners. So, they weren't just for entertainment. They were basically like, casino machines like they oh, so it was like gambling yeah it was gambling so okay then in 1942 the new york city mayor fiorello laguardia yes that laguardia mm. <laughs> mm. all right he banned pinball machines oh shit <laughs> not pinball yes pinball was banned and <laughs> you will not believe how long this ban lasted okay and I won't tell you. Okay. I'm just going to come back to it when we get there in this timeline, okay? I'm not even going to tell okay. you how long. So what what year are we in? So right now it's 1942. 1942. Yes. Pinball machines have been banned yes. in New York. Yes. Yes. Mr. Mayor LaGuardia, he has banned pinball machines. And he even ordered, like, prohibition-style raids to go confiscate pinball machines. He was so serious. <laughs> he was so serious about this. So... On the first... Why do we name an airport after this guy? I don't know. He hates fun. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes sense. If you've ever been to LaGuardia Airport, it's not that fun there. So it's truly, it's fitting. So 
on the first day of this ban, the very first day, more than 2,000 machines were confiscated and stripped for metal and parts, which then were sent to like different factories to contribute to war efforts. Uh, you know, presumably World War II. That's the one that was happening. 2,000 machines? Yes, 2,000 pinball machines were confiscated okay. in one day to contribute to World War II efforts. Absolutely wild. Okay, interesting. It, it gets even weirder. Wildly enough, the the mayor had actually done like way more harm than good when he banned these pinball machines because they became like commodified in the same way mm. that alcohol was in the prohibition. So people were like trading and selling illegal pinball machines. And by people, I mean the mafia. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the mob is now involved. So, you know, LaGuardia, he banned these pinball machines thinking they're turning people into delinquents because it's like gambling. And then the mob gets involved when he bans them. So that's fun. Okay. Okay. So then in 1947, the pinball manufacturer, who has a name that is very familiar to me, and you will know why, uh, the manufacturer is called Gottlieb. Like Sydney Gottlieb, who was involved in MK Ultra, I looked it up to see if there was any connection. I couldn't find one, but that's still weird. It is weird, right? Yeah. Okay. This this again, one of the more wild sentences I've read online. So in 1947, the manufacturer Gottlieb they created f- flippers on the pinball machine because they didn't have them before. The pinball machines, literally, you just like tilted the machine. Oh, yes. so it was very manual. Yes, it was very manual and very much luck-based, which is why LaGuardia hated it so much and why it was more considered to be like a gambling-type thing, because there was no skill involved. Sure. Yeah. So then they put the flippers on, which made it more of like a, a game of entertainment and, and kind of like it could be skill-based. Sure. So it caused a lot of places to ease the bands. Not New York City, though. They still did not. Okay. They didn't ease the band yet. And of course, during all of this, we had what we can only describe today as PTA moms and, you know, pearl clutchers preaching that their children would be zombified dummies if they played pinball. In fact, a 1957 issue of Better Homes and Gardens stated that parents should act now to keep your child from being victimized by pinball. (laughs) (laughs) This is giving, like, when Eddie is mocking the satanic panic yes. in season four. Like, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> with, dungeon, with Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. yes. Except it's pinball. It's a, Okay, it's pinball. All right. Yeah. So just another kind of like sign of the time thing. During this time, like the 40s and 50s or so, pinball machines, since they were not allowed in most major cities, except San Francisco, they actually never banned them. They were one of the only major cities that never did. They're very progressive cities. They are. They always have been. But in most major cities, pinball machines were still illegal. So they were relegated to places like porn shops and bars, like dive bars and stuff, further linking them to like, quote unquote, deviant behavior. Oh, interesting. Right. And in fact, even like being around a pinball machine made you kind of like a rebel or like a badass. Like the fawns. Being around a pinball machine? Yeah, because like, you know, the the implication was like if you're, I know it sounds so silly, but like if you're comfortable enough being around this thing that's like clearly contraband, then like you're a badass, you know? Wild. Wild. (laughs) It's like like the game on, remember the old pinball iteration on computers? Yes. And you would load it up in in the games that were just pre-downloaded onto the computer? I was around that. Yeah, I was around that. Badass. Absolutely badass. 
bitchin'. Bitchin'. And those games slapped, by the way. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let's fast forward to the 70s. Okay. So 1971, the first ever arcade game was created by engineers at Stanford University. It was essentially a copy of a game that had made been made back in the 60s okay. called Space War. That was in 1962. But... Now we're in 1971, and the Stanford University engineers created this game. Basically a copy of it, but this time it was built on, like, a machine instead of a computer, mm. like, a, like a cabinet, arcade cabinet, you know? And then this company called Syzygy Incorporated launched Computer Space, which was another game, and it was uh, another version of Space War, essentially. They only had this one game idea, apparently, at the time. And it looks like this? Yes. It looks like a Doppler radar. That looks like a Doppler radar. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we might have to post a picture of that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. So yeah, after the Stanford University people made the game, then Syzygy picked it up and they worked on it as well. And it was called Computer Space this time. However, Computer Space actually didn't do that well. Like commercially, didn't do great because uh, it, it could be played on computer. But obviously it's the early 70s. Not a ton of people have computers. No. So it didn't do great. But after... Computer space sort of flopped. These people did not give up, and Syzygy would actually later become a little company called Atari. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, turns out they didn't flop too hard, because in, no. in, in 1972, this company called Atari was founded by Nolan Bushnell. Wow. That is beautiful. Marina just showed me a picture of what the computer space cabinet looked like, and it's, like, actually really modern and interesting looking. It is. It's like they were trying to be modern. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney, they were the ones who founded this company, Atari, and they were together during Syzygy as well. But Nolan Bushnell is very prominent in this whole thing. Um, so just remember his name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about him more for sure. So this guy, Nolan, he developed an interest in games while working at theme parks in the summers in between his semesters at college and hmm. that's when he decided to kind of go forward and work with this guy ted dabney to create syzygy and atari and then during this time also kind of unrelated to atari and nolan bushnell the first at-home video game console came out and it was called the odyssey by the company magnavox which still exists today and yeah, so that was the very first at-home video game console. Now, I don't go too much into the at-home consoles just because this is the history of arcades, not video games, you know? But yeah, but very interesting because obviously the existence of the at-home consoles does really weigh heavily on the success of arcades. So it looks like a typewriter. <clears throat> yes, it did look like a typewriter. Yes, it's very interesting. I don't exactly know how you're supposed to play that, but it's pretty cool looking. We're definitely going to post pictures of uh, these old school games because they're really cool. Then, after all this, in 1974 through 1978, so these were these were kind of big years for game development. We're not quite yet at what is referred to as the golden age of arcades just yet, but this was a really big time for game development. So this is the 70s. Yes, in the 70s. So okay, in 1974, the California Supreme Court finally overturned the pinball ban. Phew. And in 1976, New York City followed. So it was banned for like 30 years. <laughs> Which it seems like something that like somebody forgot yes, about. And 100%. was like, oh, we, we should like unban pinball. Like, like <laughs> I'm pretty sure the prohibition was shorter. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, 
They were so the kids serious. are on to more dangerous things nowadays yes. than pinball. My goodness. So it was from 1947. No, 1942 42. to 1976. 1976. Oh, my God. Right? That is so long. It's 34 years <laughs> that pinball is banned in New York. Like, why? I, it, Justice for pinball. Honestly, right? The, the thing I came away from this research with more than anything is that pinball is really important and we need to be nice to pinball. <laughs> Respect <laughs> pinball. <laughs> So during these years as well, this was kind of the era of the racing game. So yes, so games like Speed Race, Steeplechase, and Motocross are getting released. And then some firsts that are happening within these years are the first 3D racing game came out. The first game with haptic feedback, so vibration on the controller. Oh, like on our phones. Yes, so the first game with that, very cool. First hand-to-hand fighting game and first game with two-player competitive gameplay. When you say hand to hand, <laughs> I think it means more like the characters are fighting hand to hand, not not the players. Okay, so like Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, it hadn't come out yet, but yes, like right. Like that. Okay, that's the gist. Yes. Okay. In 1978, the game Space Wars, which is referenced in season four of Stranger Things, is released. Mm. So it soon became the highest earning game of the year in 1978. So mm. it was it was like hand to hand combat games. It was two player like competitive. Yes. And then what was the third one? Racing. A lot of racing games. Racing. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Yes. So during this year also, Space Invaders was released. And that's a very popular, what they call a shoot-em-up game, where you're just like, you know, a plane shooting at things. Pretty cool. And then this kind of ushers in what is now known as the golden age of arcades. But before we get there, I have to mention a couple more things about this guy, Nolan Bushnell. During, okay. during these couple years because some really interesting things happened to him. Okay. So in the early 70s, two Atari employees approached their boss, Nolan Bushnell, about investing mm-hmm. in their personal computing company. Oh, who were those people? Those employees were named Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Mm, there we go. <laughs> and Bushnell said no. Bushnell is a dummy. Yes, he is. And wait, it gets worse. In 1975, <gasps> Steve Jobs again offered Nolan Bushnell an opportunity for one-third stake in the company. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are, is Nolan okay? He, he said no again. And then in later interviews when asked about it, he said, I was so smart. I said no. It's kind of fun to think about that when I'm not crying. <laughs> <laughs> same man same wow nolan it was the pinball withdrawal yes it did it did wild things to his brain i mean you know he's still doing pretty well on his own he did found atari and i will tell you about another really interesting company that he went on to found right after this so in 1977 bushnell and his business partner ted dabney they opened the first pizza time theater in San Jose, California, for a place to stock their arcade cabinet games. Today, there are 568 of these arcades in the world, but they are called something else. Maybe you've heard of it. Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Wait, what does it have to do with theaters, though? I, I guess because it had, like, the animatronic. Like, remember okay. how there was, like, the weird animatronic characters that, like, dance and sing? Yeah, yep. you could say they're weird. Yeah, horrifying. Okay. All right. So they... they- I don't want to say like invented Chuck E. Cheese, but they kind of. Oh yeah, did. they totally did. 
Yeah. They invented Chuck E. Cheese. They did. Yeah. It's just, it's just called something different now. It's the same thing. Yeah. What was it called then? Pizza Time Theater. Pizza Time Theater. That sounds like Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. yeah. Like if you go on Wikipedia and um, if you find like a clickable link for Pizza Time Theater, if you click on it, it redirects to Chuck E. Cheese. It's, Damn. it's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Wild. That's so cool. Pizza Time <laughs> yes, Theater. Yes, Pizza Time Theater. Wow. Whenever we have like a young person in our family who ends up having a party at Chuck E. Cheese, I'm going to be like... Don't you mean pizza time theater? Pizza time theater? <laughs> theater. <laughs> so that's wild. He also, yeah, this man owns uh, Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. He rejected Steve Jobs twice and invented Chuck E. Cheese. When, when you put it that way, it sounds way worse. <laughs> oh my god thanks stranger things yeah. for giving us this information right <laughs> gosh i would kill it in like just potpourri and trivia just any any random facts wow yeah. and just one more kind of thing about nolan bush now before we move on so he has continued to kind of impact the gaming world he's won a bunch of awards for like different games he's developed and stuff like that and his impact on the gaming world and there is a law kind of in gaming called Bushnell's Law. And it kind of describes what you need in order to have a successful game. Whoa. Yeah. And his law states that a game should be easy to learn and difficult to master. That sounds familiar. Right? Pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. So, That's so awesome. I know. I thought that this guy was so cool. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go on without giving some fun facts about this guy. Because when I read that he owned Chuck E. Cheese, I was like, I need to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, this guy needs some attention. He really does. Very cool. From here, we move on into 1979 to 1983, which were... These years were considered the golden age of arcades, which makes Mm. sense. So... 1979 to 1983. So actually, in in season two, they were like sort of one foot out the door. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it's 1984. So during this time, there was an estimated 13,000 arcades in the country in the united states thirteen thousand. yes it's a lot of i had arcades i had a thought earlier when you were mentioning like how taboo pinball was (laughs) that the reason that arcades partially even came to be was because they needed to have a place yeah you know what i mean yeah like like pinball needed a home where people could be associated with it and not be associated with other taboo activities yes so true right like they needed a way to bring pinball back to its family friendly nature yeah or i guess not back you know bring it into a light where people could view it that way i guess separate from like casinos yes yes so we no no casinos no money allowed here okay also i forgot to mention that when they unbanned pinball that is when and i'm sure that you have seen this before on various arcade games that is when the pinball machines started having those big signs on them that say for amusement only or for amusement purposes only (laughs) yeah it's a disclaimer it is it's a disclaimer and i i never like i've seen those signs before and i never really gave it much thought but yeah yeah so then in 1980 the company namco releases pac-man Okay. Yeah, so this game introduced the concept of maze games, and Pac-Man was the first game to have power-ups and cutscenes. Oh, yeah. Pac-Man was the first cutscene game? Yes, isn't that weird? Hmm. Yeah, I don't really think of cutscenes, uh, you know, or I don't think of Pac-Man when I think about cutscenes, but... Yeah, no, but that's still interesting. I know. 
It also opened up video games to more female audiences intentionally with the character of Mrs. Pac-Man. Ooh. Yeah. So that was kind of the first game that like purposely marketed towards a female audience. And then in 1981, that was a pretty big year. We had mm-hmm. a couple really iconic games come out during this year. So we had Galaga, which I'm sure many people have heard of even today. But if you don't know, it's another kind of like space shooting game. And then mm-hmm. Frogger, which, come on. Oh. If you haven't heard of Frogger, where you been? Yeah. That was also released. And Donkey Kong was released, which was featuring a character named Jumpman, who we now know as Mario. I didn't know that. Jumpman. I didn't know that Mario was Jumpman. Me either. <laughs> before he was Mario. <laughs> Jumpman. I, I kind of hope that, like, in the upcoming Mario movie, they mention that at some point. Like, that would be kind of cool. I would like to go to Pizza Time <laughs> Theater to, pl- to play Jumpman. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then in 1983, we get the game Dragon's Lair, which is featured in mm. Mad Max, as we know. Okay. And this game was advertised as the first truly 3D arcade game. And it kind of like blended together the idea of like animated movie slash game because it was like a lot of narrative a lot of cutscenes, and it was animated like a movie yeah the characters themselves were 3d that's kind of what that's referring to instead of it just being Mm -hmm. like character sprites and then like the world is 3d like the characters themselves Mm -hmm. were so got it and then during this year we also got a star wars video game for the first time and Mm -hmm. we got a tiny game called mario brothers uh i uh i think you mean jump jump man Man brothers Brothers. (laughs) jump man bros okay but but is their last name Mario, though? Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. Because they're the Mario brothers. Like, they're the Mario brothers. That should be their last name. Mar- Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. Of course. It's my favorite yes. game. Uh, so from here, we move into the 1990s and beyond. Of course, arcades are kind of starting to dwindle out of relevance at this point because we're getting a lot more at-home consoles. So, you know, the the at-home consoles and the rising popularity of more like narrative-based video games is starting to make arcades a little less viable. It doesn't really yeah. make much sense to have a, a very long, you know, epic game with the, all this background and story right. when, you know, you're not going to hang out in the arcade for eight hours to play it. <laughs> that would be a lot. So... Although one time I went to a barcade with some friends and me and one of my friends beat the entire Simpsons arcade game, like the whole thing. Oh my God. Um, I don't know if that's like even an accomplishment, but it felt like one because I've never finished an arcade game. Oh my God. I remember being at an arcade one time on a cruise ship and one of my best friends when I was little sat in front of Time Crisis (laughs) and she must have played like we must have been standing at that time crisis machine for like six hours. Oh my god! I'm like, we we need to go do something else. We are on vacation. Right. Like, <laughs> we are. She just wanted to play time crisis. We're in the open ocean. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh my god! So the '90s also brought about more fighting games, like as we mentioned, the mm. Mortal Kombat series and the Street Fighter series, which I remember gotcha. playing with my brother on the Nintendo 64 back mm-hmm. in the day. And then in the late '90s. A bar opened in in Australia called Barcode, which really they really missed the boat on that one. Barcode, yeah, uh, in which people could play video games and order drinks. And then, of course, this inspired many similar places around the world, such as Barcade, like I just mentioned, which opened 
for the first time in 2004, their first location is in Brooklyn, still open, and it featured and features still a full bar and more retro style arcade games and i think that the barcades really do kind of cater to like i'd say our age group probably like yeah for sure they're usually a lot of like craft beers at these locations and then it's it's also like definitely purposely appealing to like the nostalgia of the millennial generation yeah which i'd love i find them awesome but there are now nine barcade locations across the united states i've i've been to one a couple times they are awesome they're a lot of fun go to barcade and then today i don't know if we're counting places like barcade in this number but there are about four thousand arcades in the country now but i do believe we're counting places kind of like uh dave and busters in that i was gonna ask about dave and busters yeah Yeah. i think they're being counted in this number as well so you know it's kind of like a generous figure of four thousand. and then yeah i don't know if the 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 child mouse casino is also being counted in this number (laughs) (laughs) child child mouse casino (laughs) but yeah i don't know if that's also included but that's kind of where we are today only about four thousand arcades in the country obviously not as popular as they used to be but i still think arcades are really fun I like Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Dave and Buster's is fun. And I always remembered, I mean, long, long ago, like when there would always be an arcade attached to the mall. Yes, I remember that. I, I remember like the exact one you're talking about, I think. It was like, it has a yes. door to the outside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then like, there's also things, and I don't know if these this is even in business anymore, but things like Funplex. Oh, yeah. Like, that was also sort of like a marrying of the, the food. True. It's like a giant Chuck E. Cheese, this Funplex. It's just like adult Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah like you would always go to parties there when we were young yeah so like you know that's kind of the way that arcades have evolved today i feel like arcades sort of grew up with the generation that loved them yeah you know they they didn't stay in the 80s you know with i'd say like gen x is probably like the big arcade generation and mm-hmm. it, it feels like arcades sort of grew with them and became something that we could all carry into adulthood just kind of in different ways yeah, and it seems like they they existed because people wanted to play games and they weren't able to do so in their homes, so they were doing them socially. And then once we were able to play games in the home, the arcade died. Yeah. So it was like people wanted to play games. It was like a novel concept, so arcades were sort of born. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, and then, you know, to save pinball. To sa- We have to save pinball, of course. We have to give pinball a reason to exist. Yes. That is not... That's not the mob. <laughs> yeah, it's not the mob and porn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> porn ball machine. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, yeah. So that's really it. That's kind of where we are right now with, with arcades. You know, we kind of have uh, things like Barcade and Dave and & Buster's to help us bring in that nostalgia. But the era of the standalone arcade is unfortunately kind of dead. Yeah. But, hey, there are cool things to do after school that are not arcades anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't think mind flayers haunt those no. those places. No, I think... They, whereas they it haunts the palace arcade. Right, you have to be careful with, with mind flayers. It's better to just go home. Yeah, just go home. Yeah. Steer clear of Play mind your Atari. flayers. Play <laughs> 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 Right, well, I hope you all enjoyed the history oh, of... Uh, yeah, the history of arcades. It was a lot more interesting and uh, kind of dramatic than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, yeah, we will see you next week with our next episode. And we hope you have a great new year because we're going to see you in 2023. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2023. Yeah. And I can't wait to see how they fit that year on a pair of glasses. Just give up. They really should. 
2020 was the best one. just give up. <laughs> well, till next time, everybody. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming StarCourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at StarCourt Study Hall.